turn over. Lie on your belly, I tell Brian. I press a thumb. He inhales sharply. Do you want me to keep going, I ask. Yeah, he moans into the pillow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. I am ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you said it. I didn't want to have to indict you, but yes. <sighs> Hi, Bill. Hello, Nicole. How are you? <laughs> um, I am a-okay. Well, actually, that's a lie. I'm tired uh, because the clocks are fucking me up because the white man has stolen my one hour <laughs> and I won't be able to have it back until the autumn. And I just need this nonsense of daylight savings to end. You know, I've never really been affected by spring forward. Uh, oh, good for you. No need to boast. Yeah, this doesn't bother me so much. I'm I'm okay with, with the time change. Um, I'm not okay with the fact that I woke up with yet another sore throat and uh, congested uh. nose and all that crap. So I am at home once again, trying not to infect anybody. Um, particularly since, you know, you get on the subway, you cough a little bit and everybody's looking at you. <laughs> you got the Rona. Yeah, the Rona. <laughs> Which is, you know, we're not making light of it. It's just, you know, everybody's a little paranoid right now, I think. That they are. And uh, it's manifesting in some really horrible ways. So it's better that you stay home and hopefully get back to full strength. And in the meantime, shout out to Technology and our producer Cher, who uh, has rigged it up so that we don't even have to be in the same room to thirst together. Now, that is the future that we want. Absolutely. I'm so thankful to have such wonderful colleagues who are able to work around my terrible immune system. You know what? That's fine. We'll do it. We'll do it again. We hope we don't have to, but we do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I'm ready to talk about today's thirst object. As am I. Yeah, he was an immediate favorite. Like, Mm -hmm. immediate. There is something about him that is one of those things that you watch him and you actually see him. Even though you know he's playing a role. You know he is not playing himself. And yet, every single time... You know, we we have this conversation uh, about Lakeith, about how he's all these different people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like... This thirst object has exactly the same quality of keep your eye on him because he embodies the characters that he plays. And it's a rare gift. And we don't talk enough about how rare it is. And so you want to, you want to, yeah, you want to focus on it when you see it. Right. And who we're talking about is Brian Tyree Henry. Whoop, whoop. Yes, just a, um, you know, just a handsome fellow and also, like you said, just uh, supremely talented. Yes, wildly charismatic. Like, you just, I just, yeah, he's the kind of person who would like, you know, invite me to do stuff that I'd be like, huh, I'm not sure. But I'd be like, well, how bad could it be? (laughs) And that's, (laughs) that's the power of charisma. He could lead a, a, you know a well-intentioned cult, and I would join without hesitation. I'd be like, you know what, Brian? You seem like a trustworthy fellow. I'll do it. <laughs> I'll move into <laughs> I'll move into the compound, for sure. I will wear colorless uh, clothes. Yeah, I'll join you. What's that? All my life savings? Why not, Brian? 
<laughs> no, I, you know, I don't know if I would join his cult, but I would definitely I would. think about it real hard. No, I, no, know. I would think about it and it wouldn't take that long. I'd be like, you know what? You seem like a stand up guy. I'll be there on the six o'clock flight. I really would. <laughs> <laughs> OK, fair. You know, I'll, I'll let you have that one. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> he is definitely um, just, you know, a little Pied Piper. You want to follow him to his next project. Right, right. And there's something also, as you know, we've spoken about this before and we'll get into it. But like the competency kink, very, very real with him. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, with all of that uh, wonderful talent, it doesn't hurt that he's 6'2". Is he? Yes. Wow. (laughs) I just knew he was. Oh, all right. (laughs) I knew he was kind of like big, but I didn't know he was 6'2". Is he? Yes. According to the internet, which, you know, never lies. Never lies. You know what? My thirst just went up a notch. I have to be (laughs) honest with you. I'm that basic. I'm like, wait, 6'2"? Okay. So anyway, um, height besides, (laughs) she said, (laughs) so naked. I mean, I I can't even lie. Like, honestly, you should have seen me. I perked up in the chair when you said (laughs) 6'2". Anyway. We are going to get into all the many reasons, and there are many reasons to fancy Brian. And I'm very excited to be doing this today with you, Nicole. So am I. So let's get into it. So, Nicole. Yes. (laughs) You and I did something a couple years back. Mm -hmm. Living in this great big city. We <laughs> we went along to see a play. And the reason why we went to see that play together, beyond obviously the enjoyment of one another's company, was that we were <laughs> we were doing it so that we could observe one particular first object that we were about to interview. Right. We went to see Lobby Hero so that uh-huh. we could uh, you know, get a feel for Chris Evans and his um Broadway debut. Right, right. So we're talking about the Kenneth Lonergan play, which is very, very good. And it was a revival, the first time on Broadway in ages. Chris Evans was in there. He was very good. Mm-hmm. He was really good. And also in the play was Michael Sarah and Belle Powley. Uh, and of course, Brian Tyree Henry. And obviously we went in for the express purpose of checking out Chris's form. No pun intended. Uh <laughs> And we absolutely love Chris, obviously, as we spoke about on the show. But like, did we or did we not say, Jesus, Brian Tyree Henry, he has the range when we let. We did, didn't we? Yeah, he absolutely stole the show. And to steal the show from motherfucking Chris Evans, um, that says a lot. Doesn't it? (laughs) He was so good. He was, again, arresting. He's just like, he has presence and it's difficult, right? Because like you said, Chris Evans was like meant to be quote unquote the star of the show. He's the big Hollywood guy. He's the one who I think pulled in a good number of those crowds. No shade to anybody else, but come on, facts are facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like ostensibly got the lead role in this. Like it's it's between him and Michael Sarah. They're the two main guys. And yet I found myself leaning forward a little bit more for Brian because he has first of all the character was great he's kind of like this grumpy world weary but also just like clearly a nice person like a good person who's just trying to make this shit work so there's something already kind of like that pulls you in about the character but then Brian performed it in this 
really human, warm way that I had no doubt. I believed him. I At no point was I distracted by the fact that, oh, there's an actor acting. You know, it was just kind of like natural. He's just a very skilled performer. And he knows how, again, we've spoken about this before, he knows how to modulate so that you feel as though you are getting a real person as opposed to a person playing a person. Right. And he was so, like you said, natural on the stage. It made me... You know, there's some people who, well, they can act for the stage, they can't act for television, or if they can act mm. for television, they can't act for the stage, and, you know, all the different ways that, all the different places that people act these days. But I, Brian was so comfortable on stage in a way that I was just like, oh, he knows what he's doing, and he has been doing this for a while. Right, right. Like, this is what, he didn't stumble onto the stage by accident, you know? right. Like you could tell that he is not only just trained, but again, just has this really natural gift for it. Right. And he's just, um, he just felt so, he seemed so comfortable in the role. Right, right. And again, I think, yeah, he's the only uh, black character on the stage. He's playing an authority figure. He's playing a, uh, a security guard who is the boss of Michael Sarah's character. And there's something um, that I found quite um, interesting about it. Of course, race didn't really come up like in a big, big way, but it felt apparent. Right. And it felt like a sort of um, it was like a small commentary. I don't think that was obviously the big aim of the of the play, mm-hmm. but I liked seeing him kind of seemingly grapple with what it meant to be this guy's boss in this particular setting with the full weight of knowledge about what it means in this American society to hold that kind of position. And again, like you to do all of that wordlessly is quite the gift. Yeah. Cause he had moments where he could be funny, where he could be, you know, very serious and um, times where he was very sad. Like he went through the full range of emotions on stage and it was just uh, like, he really made the price of admission worth it. <laughs> like, right. Like, yes, Chris Evans was great. Um, you know, he, you know, like you said, everyone was clearly there to see him one way or another, but Brian was the one that kind of solidified the whole play. It seemed like, you know, yes. um, and he was nominated for a Tony from that. Right. Exactly. So exactly. And like, again, no shade to Chris. Love you, boo. But, like, of all the nominees, I was like, you know what, Brian? Well-deserved. You did that shit. (laughs) Like, a Tony nomination is a big deal. Like, regardless of what you think of the quality of the Tonys any given year, I was like, you know what? Well-recognized. You you got this one right. Yeah, and, um, you know, after the play was over and we were by the stage door, and... (sighs) (laughs) That, That was when my fancy was ignited. I have to be honest. Yes. And we were the only, you know, little chocolate things in the crowd, it seems <laughs> yes. like. And so when Brian came out and we, you know, I, I don't remember if we said hi, Brian, or we, you know, some kind of we way did. We, we did. Yes, Nicole. I remember I went home and I wrote it in my diary. We absolutely said hi, Brian. Yes. And he <laughs> turned and he saw two black women smiling at him, greeting him. And he just blossomed. And he was like, he what's up, family? And That's it. He did it with such enthusiasm that everybody around us looked and they were like, do they know each other? You know, because obviously, we're the, again, we were the only black people there and his right. greeting was so effusive. People yes. just assumed that, you know, we were, I don't know, his people some kind of way. But, you know, we weren't right. kin. 
But we are no, people. But he but treated us that way. He really, really did. And like you said, like all these people, bless them, all turned to like gawk at us. And you and I both preened like, yeah, that's right. We're family, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) But that was that was when I thought to myself, oh, I fancy you. Oh, my gosh. Like his face just lit up in such a way because, as you know, many people know, um, the theater is not the most diverse uh, place as far as audiences are concerned because oh playwrights lol <laughs> you know it can be expensive uh, to go to the theater um, you know and not everybody lives in New York so there's all this kind of stuff that involved in that but he mm. was so happy to see us it just yep. it really warmed my heart. Did. And he came over, he signed our playbills, which mine is still at home, very like pride of place on my <laughs> coffee table. I'm very proud of that signature. And I just thought, gosh, imagine not knowing two people. Because when he came over, we had a very brief chat. Right. He signed our little things. Sadly, I didn't get a photo. If I'd uh, if I'd been quicker, I'd, I could have got a photo with uh, Brian. But I didn't, sadly. And that warmed me in a way that I came home and I was on a cloud. Like, so we went to see this play to see this particular person and instead I came away just feeling like man Brian Tyree Henry what a what a dude like what a great dude I just loved it my favorite thing about all of that was all the people looking at us and we you should have seen us I mean let's <laughs> forget we were not subtle about it like we were grinning and we kept looking at them like yeah that's right <laughs> you know his family <laughs> And it wasn't even like we tried to get anything from him. You know, we didn't say come on the show or anything like that. We weren't trying to like manipulate the situation to our benefit beyond just enjoying the fact that he recognized us um, as, you know, people that he would want to see somewhere. Listen, it was just so it was just really just um, just a sweet moment. And since then, I've seen where he's been on various red carpets and he made sure to stop and talk to black journalists who are often, you know, kind of put in the corner, put at the tail end of the line and often get ignored, unfortunately. And so he, you know, a few times has made sure that he speaks to them and makes sure that he acknowledges them and, and, you know, respects their work and what they're trying to do. Right. And it's a small thing that is actually not that small. And, you know, a big part of things for me, I've discovered this, the older I get, the more true it feels that I really genuinely fancy people who appeared to see me. Yes. Yes. And it's like, what a basic, again, the bar. Where is it, Nicole? It's in hell. (laughs) (laughs) But there is something about when you find someone's gaze on you, It makes you gaze back like as an initial opening gambit, finding out that somebody likes you is enough to pique my interest, like as a basic kind of like entry point. Right. No pun intended. (laughs) But like (laughs) and that builds the more you get to know someone. And like you said, he does the shit like on red carpets. He did it with us by stage door. And in the profile uh, in GQ from November in 2018, so a few months after he'd been on stage on Broadway, Mm -hmm. the interview portion of it takes place uh, in uh, a museum in Atlanta. So the writer, Zach Barron, is walking with Brian Tyree Henry and they're going they're going through the exhibit. They're talking about all this stuff. And in the middle of this conversation, people keep coming up. And Zach writes that for pretty much all the people, Brian stops, takes a picture with them 
and carries on going through. Like, he is literally, like, talking about his family and, like, all sorts of, like, sadnesses and just, like, life. He's, you know, at an exhibit that has Emmett Till. And it's all this, you know, emotions. And people keep coming up to him and doing that thing that fans do, which is, hey, can you take a photo with me? I'm a big fan of your work, blah, blah, blah. And the way Zach writes it every time, Brian is kind of like, yeah, sure. Wipes his eyes. Like, this man is feeling emotions. Yeah. Wipes his eyes, takes the photo and carries on. And I just, part of me just, again, you can't fancy someone through (laughs) the internet. But I really fan, like, again, reading that, I just thought, God, what a sweet, sweet man. And, you know, I really like sweet. So (laughs) I'm all the way in there. I was like, all right, Brian, you've got me. Whether or not you want me is another story, but you've got me. Yeah, and I think that sweetness and that ability to see people comes from his relationship with his mother, which he has talked yeah. about. It's a it's a painful subject for him because his mother passed away um, right at the start of his career, basically, um, right when he was, you know, getting um, recognition with Atlanta. Um, so he frequently talks about his mother and how important she was to him and to his dreams. Um, and it's just... Um, you know, obviously it's sad. And he frequently talks about what it means that she's not here to witness his um, star rising. And I want to play this little clip from um, an interview that he did where he's talking about what he wants um, now that he's famous. And like, you know, when he's talking about getting money and all this kind of stuff and what he, what he wants to do with that money. Like, I'm a simple dude. I do not need anything extravagant. But my dream really was to have... A little house by a lake with a dock and a porch swing and a hammock. And So your mother must be proud of you. You know, my mother was an educator, but she taught in inner city schools and I lost her a year ago. And she uh, was one of the, is still one of the most important people in my life. And I will say that a big reason why I got into acting was because I wanted to spoil her so bad. Like I wanted to what I call caking her, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to cake her out. Like I wanted her to get all the Balenciaga she wanted. I wanted her to like have the best car. I wanted her to have the house with a dock by the lake. What I never accounted for was that I wouldn't have her when I got that. You know what I mean? So that's why I was like, what does making money mean? Because it's like, I make all the money, but the person I wanted to spend it on the most is no longer here. Oh my God. He is so emotionally intelligent listen bitch like (laughs) this is not the arena that i would want for him to kind of showcase that intelligence like i'm so sad and sorry for him i know the value of my mother in my life i know for people who are close to their mothers it's it's just a relationship that you can't replicate i i i'm so so sorry for for his loss And the whole time on the base level, like the most lizard part of my brain was kind of like, is it okay, Brian? (laughs) Because I'm trash and I apologize. But like emotional intelligence. Again, the kinkiest kink there is. I mean, just to know, you know, just to know that this is a man who wanted to spoil his mother. And, you know, that is... Often what you want to do when you make it big, right? You want to give pay back your mother some kind of way or pay back whoever, you know, brought you to this point or whoever mm-hmm. raised you. Um, but to hear him still getting, like, caught up and still feeling that loss, um, again, is you know, I hate to, that it's because of this reason, but to hear how well he's able to articulate 
his emotions and that he doesn't shy away from getting sad, you know, and talking about these things. It's just really, it's just beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, it it does make me fancy you more. Like in in that GQ um, profile, which again, I can't recommend highly enough. It is so, so good. We'll post it on our Twitter so you can have a read of it. He talks about his mother, um, which is how I knew that she had uh, had passed away. But he spoke about wanting to spoil her. He spoke about wanting to kind of just, you know, give her everything. And he he had this great little thing. I just want to read a little bit from it. But he says, um, the biggest thing was that when Atlanta wrapped, I was going to take my mom on what I was calling the dick tour because I was going to go get my mom laid. <laughs> I was like, mom, you ain't ever been with a white dude? Wait, ma, you ain't ever been with a doctor? Wait, what if this white dude has like a helicopter? I know it sounds skeezy, but she had been on this planet for 68 years and had never experienced a man wanting her or seeing her the way she deserved. And God damn it, I've seen her tie cherry stems with her tongue. That's how fucking dope my mom was. I wanted to be the man that showed her that she could obtain anything, anything. Because what's that life? Or you marry this person, so you got to spend every day and happy next to this motherfucker? Like, no. And right as I had the car rented, she was gone. (sighs) That paragraph fucking broke me down. And throughout the profile and the interview, he cries a couple of times. And, you know, he, he just appears to be someone who is giving so much thought to life and how he wants to live it and what he had intended. And understanding also that... Sometimes you don't get to do all the things that you plan for. I feel like that makes him something of an urgent performer. Mm, He has uh such grand plans for what he knows he's capable of and what he wants to make. And I just think that that is, on the one hand, it's just incredibly uh, inspirational. Uh And on the other Again, sorry, apologies to my lizard brain. It is very, very hot to look at someone and know that they have plans, bitch. (laughs) I really like what you said about his performances are urgent. And that is spot on because you can see that he is like, I don't know when this is going to be taken away from me. I don't know how it may may be taken away from me, but I am going to put forth my best every time that I am on a stage. And you can really see that in all of his performances. Right, right. And the thing that, I, again, this is kind of like exhibiting itself even before this, uh, no doubt, this clarity that I think comes with something as traumatic as the loss of a mother. He went to Morehouse College. Now, of course, I'm not American, so I don't um, have the HBCU knowledge deep in my bones. Mm-hmm. But I was always very pleased about that. Like, yes, Brian, I knew you love black people. Look <laughs> at you. Like, I just, that was something, again, that was great. But then after that, he went to Yale. And I thought that was really, really interesting um, because when he got to Yale, he went there to study drama. Um, he had one person in his class. Um, there were apparently only a few other people who were not white in this in the in his class, but one of them was the playwright Terrell Alvin McCraney, who you may know as the Oscar winner who wrote the screenplay for Moonlight, which was adapted from his own play. Mm-hmm. Now, when you think about iron sharpening iron, can you imagine being in the same class as Terrell Alvin McCraney and you're not going to up your game? Like, <laughs> think, think about your life. Of course you are. Like, someone is out here creating masterpieces. You're like, you know what? I'm going to act my ass off. And then he did. And I love that. I love that. And of course, you know, I just love this idea of someone who 
was thinking even then, like, what do I want to go? What do I want to do? All right, I'm going to go to Yale School of Drama. You get there, you see Terrell, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to step my game up. Like, increasingly, just someone just... I, I, I don't know. I feel proud of Brian as though he were my boyfriend and I had seen him through acting school. Like I was, I feel like as though I, I'm invested in his success because I did something material to help him along. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> but I love him like he's my boyfriend. Brian, hi, call me. Anyway. <laughs> I really love that he went to these very prestigious schools um, and then turns around and like his breakout character is this rapper who lives like in the hood in Atlanta. Um, and, you know, that's how his name got on the map. And Atlanta is a really good show. Um, it's still on a hiatus right now. I'm not sure when it's coming back. But he plays um, Alfred Paperboy Miles, um, this rapper who is blowing up, local rapper. And he's still, um, he's still dealing with um, what it means when the way people see you starts to change and you're trying to stay the same, um, but also maintain the expectations of people who want you to change. Right. Uh, first of all, I just want to comment very quickly on the fact that his name is Alfred Miles. <laughs> Sometimes black people have <laughs> the most butler sounding names. And I'm just kind of like, you know what? Shout out to colonialism that did this fuckery. But also, I love that he's called Alfred Miles. It reminds me of that 30 Rock joke with the Michael Sheen character who's called Wesley Snipes. And he says, look at us. Who who looks like they should be called Wesley Snipes <laughs> between the two of us? And I'm like, precisely. <laughs> it's such a good joke. But that's how I feel. Whenever I remember that Paperboy's name is Alfred Miles, I'm like, like Batman's butler? Yes. It makes me so happy. Uh, <laughs> it's such a ridiculous, well-named character. But yes, I, um, I've said this before. I don't really like Atlanta. Sorry, everyone who loves Atlanta. <laughs> but I bloody love Brian on that show. Because again, like you said, he's doing this wonderful balancing act where he has to be someone who is pursuing a dream. Like he's doing this thing, he's making this music and then he's blowing up. And like you said, he's struggling. He's between who he knows he is and who he might have to become. Right, right. In that new persona, right? Like with success comes a new set of expectations. Right. There is a scene where he's walking and he comes across these three um, teenage boys or, yeah, they look like teenagers. Maybe, you know, at the oldest, they may be um, early 20s. But, you know, he's walking and they're like why are you walking? You, you ain't got no car. And he's like, I can't walk, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then they end up jumping him. So it's like a lot of stuff that oh, happens, <laughs> but you know, this idea that, you know, they know that he is quote unquote famous a little bit, or they have this expectation of him as a famous person. And then, you know, you're not supposed to see a famous person just walking around trying to catch some air and trying to have, you know, a little, private time with yourself you're supposed to be rolling around in, in some kind of fancy car or with a chauffeur or something like that and so when they see him by himself they just take that as a sign of weakness and try to right. and try to take advantage of it right right and i think again the, the way he plays paperboy is someone who is uh incredibly aware which i think is probably it feels to me like the character was written with some knowledge of brian because 
they really kind of play to his very, very strong abilities where he's able to kind of, you know, he has those big eyes mm-hmm. and they're kind of sad looking and just like, you know, they're a little bit, they're a little bit watery. <laughs> so it looks as though he's always kind of like weighing you up slash kind of like on the verge of, I don't know, there's something very assessing about his gaze. Yes, yes. And because of that, you end up really staring at his eyes. And he has this really magical ability of kind of like making his eyes do so much of the work. We've spoken about eye acting. I know that's one of your favorite things, Nicole. Uh, yeah. But he's really good at it. He's so good at it. There's, there's another scene where he's on this talk show um, with a bunch of other white people who are, you know, making all these assumptions. And he's just at this point where he's kind of resigned um, that he is just, you know, not going to change anybody's mind. And also he doesn't want to, like, it's just too much work and he doesn't feel like putting up, you know, doing that kind of work. So he just kind of leans back in his chair and his face says everything. Like he is so disgusted. He's also vaguely amused at how white these people are like the their privilege um it's just it's just so well done and i really i like atlanta um but i really like the way that they do let him just kind of make the character his and i think mm. you know it's because he's from uh fayetteville north carolina so he has this um you know, Southern upbringing. His father is from Kentucky. So he knows oh. what it is to be, to live in the South and to have these certain, um, these certain little, you know, moments of body language that say everything that feel, mm. you know, very Southern to me, <laughs> but he just, he just has it all right there. And it's so well done. I mean, Atlanta, if, I know a lot of people don't like Atlanta, but I think people definitely need to watch it strictly for Brian and Lakeith. Oh. Yes. I mean, Lakeith, this is the thing. I think I allowed my general uh, ambivalence towards Mr. Glover mm-hmm. determine the rest of my feelings about it, which I should go back with a clean slate and just rewatch it and really focus my eyes on... Um, both Lakeith and Brian, because I th- I do I do actually think they're the strongest parts yeah. in terms of performance. Yes, um, and they're the parts that I enjoy the most. Like their interactions in particular. We played one during our Lakeith episode where they're talking about <laughs> daddy right. <laughs> as a term, <laughs> which is just <laughs> still hilarious, still wonderful, and just so great. Again, this kind of looseness, and I, what I really appreciate about the writing, I will say is that, like you said, it gives the actors room to kind of really play into their strengths. And I think the natural chemistry between uh, Brian and Lakeith, but also Brian and everybody else who is in, in scenes with, all his scene partners, he seems like a very generous scene partner. He gives of himself and he also is himself. And it just makes, I feel like it would make for a very enjoyable and uh, collaborative experience. Yeah, I want to um, play this one scene where he is, um, you know, these kids are running around in the neighborhood and they're pretending to be paper boy and it's not going well. It's not really what a mother wants to see her children doing. And he tries to come in uh, to offer some advice and he's just so funny. Um, yeah. So let's just hear that right quick. Didn't I tell you that we do not play with guns in this house. Where you get this from? My friend Alex. I bet not catch you playing with no toy guns again, boy. He was playing like he was paper boy. I don't care, Asia. We don't play like that. 
Come on. Hey, 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 I just wanted to come over because I just saw that and I wanted to tell y'all, you know, shooting people, that isn't cool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Who are you and why are you speaking to me and my children? No, I, I didn't mean to just get in your business. Yeah, but you did. Look, I may be to blame because, you know, I'm actually Paperboy. Who? Paperboy. The rapper that your child was imitating. You ain't Paperboy, man. Yeah, I am, you little bit. is exactly that stereotypical badass child who's just kind of like you ain't paper boy yes <laughs> and the way he gathers himself before he cusses out the little boy it's so good <laughs> i love that scene it's so good it's such a perfect example of again paper boy trying to you know live with the reputation that he has cultivated Um, but also seeing the real life ramifications of it and trying to correct all of that and trying to figure out what, what his, um, role is in society, in his community as somebody who, you know, is talking all this trash on a record, but also sees the way it affects the children. And so, uh, it's just really great. And again, he's so funny. He is so, um, capable of transmitting his emotions onto you, onto the audience. Yes. Yes. What a gift. And speaking of that, there was a movie. Um, and this time he was working with um, Barry Jenkins. Mm-hmm. And of course, we are talking about If Beale Street Could Talk, which was, of course, the adaptation of the James Baldwin uh, novel. Now, this film, again, is not necessarily filled with laughs. It's not a comedy. <laughs> right, right. And he's not playing a comedian. He's very funny in it. He's very charming in it. And there's something, what you were saying about transmitting mm-hmm. his emotions, there's one scene in particular. It's like an extended scene with him. He comes home with Funny and he's like an old friend from the neighborhood and they have this long day and they eat and they smoke and they drink. And it's like this wonderful camaraderie and a sort of kind of like, you know, it's human beings being human beings together. It's really lovely. And there's a moment in that conversation that they're having, this day-long conversation where Brian Tyree Henry does something that feels like alchemy or magic or something. And it's when he's talking about his experience of being incarcerated. That scene, I was in the cinema. And again, knowing that he is not the star of that movie, he was barely mentioned in like the roll call of really amazing talent in that movie. Seeing him was a bit of a surprise. I was like, oh, shit, it's my fave. Like, look at him. And at the end of that scene, I found myself just silently crying. Yes. And he's funny, but, you know, um, not throughout the whole uh, time that he's on on screen, obviously. But he's funny, but you could tell that he is laughing to keep from crying. You know, he is trying to cover up the trauma that he has um, been through, the, the trauma that he's experienced. And, you know, he gets to this moment, like you said, like he's talking about what happens in jail. Um, and it's, it's so, 
like he looks to the side he goes silent because Fonny goes to get him uh, another beer and he looks to the side and he's smoking his cigarette and his eyes start to well up and you're like oh shit oh shit it's it's a stunning feat and I know in the grand conversations around that movie you couldn't nominate everybody obviously but I really felt like they should have lobbied something like people have won Oscars on a lot less. Yeah. His character is very much like, here's reality. Like, you know, we've got this couple, we're seeing how this couple got together and their history together and what they're experiencing and various flashbacks. Um, And then, you know, we see the stuff that's happening in present day, but Daniel comes in and reminds us that reality is somehow even more harrowing than we thought. Right. How long you been out, man? Hmm. About three months. It's bad. Very bad. I mean, it's bad now. Maybe I'd feel different if I had done something and got caught, but I ain't do nothing. They was playing with me because they knew they could. And look, I'm lucky that I only got two years because when you in there, they can do with you whatever they want. Hear me? Like, wow, I I feel tearful. <laughs> the way he says, it's bad, man. Yes. Oh, my God, what talent. Like, he really just put the weight of the unfairly incarcerated in his voice. Yes. And gave it to us to shoulder. Right, right. And I think that he is finally going to move on into what all the big actors have to do now and he's moving into superhero uh territory right and you know before he goes and does this big thing that's coming out this year he did have a a small taster of a superhero movie in the same year 2018 the spider-verse movie oh right 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 so he had like a little taster of it and clearly found it tasted good because he's going to be in the eternals right yes the eternals and he's playing fastos who is queer has a husband who is played by Haas slyman um who was in nurse jackie and uh supposedly there is a very moving kiss between the two men but you know Sometimes these movies hype up certain things and then, you know, you know, it's done in such a way to be cut so that nobody gets offended or whatever. But we'll see how that goes. But the fact I mean, that's it. That's all. That's all we can do is see. Right. Right. Um, But I believe that Eternals is going to be the first film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that will have an openly gay lead character, which is. Fastos. Um, so for him to have this husband, to have a family, they're going to have a family together. And 
you know, maybe this kiss, who knows by the time we see it. Um, but that is remarkable. And to see this, you know, tall, big, dark skinned man playing uh, an openly gay character in a superhero movie. That's remarkable. It's fantastic. I'm always grateful for the little and the big things. Um, the little things are often so little as to be microscopic. So a lot of the time I'm like, eh, like you said, like some of the stuff that people even say, well, I played him as gay. I'm like, oh, did you? But did the writers write him as gay? And like, did you do anything to suggest? Like, come on. Right. Like, sometimes, you know, the cop out is so basic that it's just kind of like you know it would have been better if you just shut up i i really believe it would have been better if you just kept quiet <laughs> but like like you said like you know he's gonna have a husband he's gonna have kids like this is gonna be like a family and i'm grateful for even that and i i want it to be as just like wide open as it can be i'm just i'm tired of like the weird sort of like you know queer baiting that and i'm not even part of that community but i'm like this shit is fucking annoying like just just lean into it and do the fucking thing. Like, it's 2020. Come on. So, fingers crossed. Uh, I intend to leave. And if, if I don't see, like, tongues dueling, I'm fuck it. Like, I'm just going to be angry. I, just want, I want everyone to just get this. That's what I want. It's, what, it's, it's the real world. It should look like that. Exactly. So, the thing I'm really also interested in is, you know, every so often, Marvel will announce the next phase of its cinematic universe and what, you know, what the slate of movies is going to be and what storylines they're going to be pursuing from the vast, vast archive. And the thing that came up when they announced, you know, Brian Tyree Henry and this whole Eternals movie in this current slate was, um, there was a really great tweet that I thought illustrated the worry (laughs) that a few people had. And it was like, listen, I know that Marvel likes everyone to look a certain way and blah, 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 superheroes, but you best not be taking away my thick boy, Brian. And (laughs) (laughs) first of all, shout out to Thirst in All Forms. Yes. Bless everyone. Uh, But I love that because it was something that crossed my mind. Like, oh, my God, is Brian going to like be in the gym and have a have like, you know, a gym body? Because. You know, everyone saw the photo a few months ago from Kumail Nanjiani, who's also going to be in Eternals. Uh Uh-huh. And he clearly has been living inside of a gym machine. I don't know which one, but he lives inside it. Because he came out and he was ripped. He was so ripped. It was jarring. Jarring! I'm like, this man is like the softest, squidgiest per- And now he's kind of like fucking, I only eat brown rice. <laughs> if that. And I was like, rah, Okay. And I wondered if Brian was going to do the same. Now, we haven't seen him in public, like, sporting, like, new biceps or whatever. But, like, ugh, I don't know how to feel about that. Right. You know, because it would be, um, again, significant to see, you know, a kind of soft big dude as a superhero. Um, mm-hmm. That superheroes can come in all shapes and sizes. And it would be amazing to see that reflected on screen because that's what the superhero movies are trying to tell you right there's all the superhero movies and the comic books and whatever else they're trying to say that anybody can be a superhero it's all within you you don't need a suit blah 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 but you still need to be good looking in order to be in the actual movies and by good looking we mean ripped to shreds (laughs) (laughs) that's such a horrifying sentence when you consider what we're talking ripped to shreds that's a good thing jesus christ but that's the skill of brian tyree henry right like whatever he's doing whatever he's wearing whatever period he's in whether he's on stage whether he's on tv it's the guy you come for him and like the minute he starts speaking i'm pulled in yes his voice is just a little you know warm buttery biscuit 
Oh, wow, Nicole. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> he's so thoughtful when he speaks. Uh-huh. You know, he's very careful with his language. And he wants to make sure that what he's saying is understood and that there's no confusion around it. He's very careful in his interviews. Um, I really appreciate that, you know, and I, I think that the power of his voice magnifies how careful and thoughtful he is with his speech. I just, ugh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fully, fully in love with him. I, yeah. Every time I look at him, I am filled with like this real warmth in my chest where I'm just kind of like, again, that worry of just like, has he eaten today? Like, is someone, yeah, <laughs> someone, is someone making sure he's got socks on set? I heard it's cold in Canada. Is he fine? Like, <laughs> I just want to go to dinner with him and just have a conversation because I feel like he is fascinating to talk to. God, I think he's a great date. Yeah. Oh, God. Now I'm thinking about that. Jesus. Brian Tyree Henry, if you want to come to Brooklyn and take us on a double date. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) When we say double date, we don't mean two people and two people. No. No. You and two of us. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, sister wife Nicole. Hi, sister wife Bim. (laughs) Okay, Bim. Okay, Nicole. <laughs> we have um, worn ourselves out talking about the magnificent Brian Tyree Henry. Uh-huh. <laughs> that we have. <laughs> I feel like I said some things and I can't remember them, but I am hot in the face. So <laughs> I'm so sorry, Brian. I respect you as a human man. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you are more than an object, Brian. <laughs> oh, but it is time for Fanfic Wars. Yes, 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 yes. For the new listeners, and we know we have a couple, so hi, guys. Hi. Uh, <laughs> fanfic Wars is where we, uh, Nicole and I, write original fan fiction based clearly on these people that we have never met and know nothing about. Uh, in short, we are projecting wildly. Um, and your job as the first bucket listener at home is to vote on your favorite fanfic. Um, but the thing that we often say to people, and we mean it, is that there are no losers in this game because both Nicole and I get to flex a little bit, do a little bit of fiction writing there for you guys, uh, in addition to our other many talents. And you get to enjoy yourself. And yeah, we, we really just love this. And you really love it too. So this is this is the thing that always gets me. It's like people really write in, tweet us about the drabbles and how they make them feel. Yeah, People send us their own drabbles. Like, it's a lot, you know? It is, and I love every second of it. <laughs> of course you do. Of course you do, because you're a fucking terrorist when it comes to writing travels. <laughs> terrorists love their work, okay? You come in and you're kind of like, let me decimate them today. And I'm just like in the studio in a puddle, like, Jesus Christ, Nicole. Like, ugh, I'm so proud of you. Good job. Oh, uh, well, this, my, my travel for today isn't, um, you know, it isn't, I, I did something a little different. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to hear it. Do you want to start? I can, yeah, sure. Um, Excellent. Excellent. Oh, I'm ready. (laughs) Um, It is a little longer, I apologize, than what I normally do, but again... That's okay. Nicole, it's our show. We're the ones who can do long drabbles. It's the listeners who can't send us long drabbles. Remember that. True. This is very true. Um, (laughs) All right, so I'm going to get started. 
Somehow I had forgotten to put my spare back in the trunk of my car. So while it was nestled up against the wall in my garage, I was stuck on the side of the road, sitting in my passenger seat like a good little woman who's watched too many crime show reenactments. Service was spotty, so every time the phone managed to connect enough to call AAA, the signal cut out. None of my texts were going through. I walked up and down the shoulder, doing the pointless dance of raising my phone and frowning at it, trying to find some bars. A car pulled up behind me. The driver lightly tapped his horn and stuck his head out of the window. Y'all good? His car was all black, shiny, new. He turned it off and got out. He was tall, solid, a big man who moved like a dancer. He gave me a polite smile when I joined him on the side of the road and explained my flat tire. Then his phone rang. I wondered which service provider he used and watched him as he stepped away. His face softened and broke into a wide grin at whatever was being said on the other end. His face changed into the sun. He laughed, throwing his head back, moving his mouth away from the phone as if it could lessen the strength of his laughter. He called someone baby and said he had to help a lady on the side of the road, but he was on his way. I was a lady on the side of the road, but I suddenly wanted to be his baby. He called AAA for me and offered to wait for them to arrive. I stared at the residual glow in his face for a beat too long, and it looked like he was about to repeat himself, but I told him I'd be fine. You sure, he asked. My mama always told me to make sure a woman was safe and had everything she needed before I left her alone. His smile was warmer now, no longer the strained politeness of a man trying to prove he's harmless. I made all the proper noises to assure him he could leave. He opened his mouth, maybe to convince me to let him stay, but his phone buzzed. He read a text quickly and chuckled to himself. When he looked back at me, I could tell by the crinkles in the corners of his eyes that he'd been convinced to leave. He gave me his email address so I could let him know everything worked out. Then I watched him walk back to his car and drive away. I went back to my passenger seat so I could fool any predators into thinking I was waiting for the man who calls me baby. (laughs) You know what? The man who calls me baby. You know what? That sounds like a 1920s ragtime song. And I'm really ready to sing it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. What a lovely travel. Thank you. I wanted to play with the idea of just a crush who goes away, you know? Oh, you you played, man. You played. That was a successful play. That was charming as fuck. Thank you. Ugh, I'm so disgusted. I love it. I love it. And I, I could I could picture Brian so clearly. And that oh, the detail where you said the smile of a man no longer trying to prove he's harmless. Yeah, because you know, he's a big black dude. He's you know, he's used to having to like soothe people as soon as he walks into a room, you know? Nicole, it's the nuances in your writing that really have made me a fan of your work. Shout out to you, Miss Perkins. Thank you so much. Because <laughs> I re- I heard you say that and I thought, yeah, I know. First of all, I know exactly what you mean about him being this big guy and who has to kind of like probably spend most of his life reassuring people silently that he's up to, you know, no harm. But then also just... I can see him doing that smile where he's kind of like, you know, we've established a rapport now, you know? Like, I've called AAA for you. <laughs> and I'm going home to a woman I love. Don't worry about it. I'm not here to attack you. Right. 
it's beautiful. I can just, I saw that so clearly. I saw you smiling in the car too, like, no, it's okay, thanks. I ate all of it. <laughs> oh, oh wow. Well, what I'm ready to hear your drabble. <sighs> okay. It's not on the side of the road, I tell you that. <laughs> <sighs> okay. <clears throat> I was three prizes deep rummaging through the crates of vinyls that ran along the back wall, an apparently well-loved Diana Ross, a mint-conditioned Dinah Washington covering Bessie Smith, and as a treat, an early 70s Nancy Wilson. The good weather, in this first weekend of spring, was making everyone in Brooklyn friendlier than usual, which was why, without looking up, I shifted to make room when I found I was suddenly no longer alone. We browsed our separate crates in companionable silence, an unspoken contract between us. Still, we occasionally bumped shoulders, or hips, and I let myself look at his hands. Elegant fingers, short, clean nails, moisturized, as they lingered over a Dakota Staten here or a Count Basie there. I could feel his gaze on what I was uncovering from time to time, and I knew for sure he was looking when the next record revealed itself to be Lou Rawls, and we both let out identical huffs of breath. Mine, we both said simultaneously, but I was faster and had the advantage of nimbler fingers. I could hear Brian laughing under his breath and I slapped his hands away and hugged it to my chest. Why do you always get to have it, he grumbled as I twirled away from him, holding my prize. But it was half-hearted. His eyes were dancing with mirth when I finally looked at him. The late afternoon sun had made the swirling dust around him visible and cast him in a haze that felt nostalgic. I stopped short letting my eyes rest on his eyes, his full mouth now set in an indulgent smile, the slopes of his broad shoulders. He walked forward, his hands circling my wrists where they were curled possessively around the record sleeve and used them to pull me in, closer to him. He lowered his head, pressing his lips against my ear until I squirmed. By the time the chain of kisses reached the tip of my chin, I threw my head back, laughing. Oh, that's was that was lovely. Thank Aww. you. Just want to go record shopping with you, Brian. Let's go. <laughs> I love that record shopping. Um, going into like a used bookstore with somebody, a bookstore date is always like the perfect date, isn't it? Oh man, I like how we both, you know, brought the sun into Brian. <laughs> <laughs> is that what they call it? All right. <laughs> we did bring the sun because he lights up my life, Nicole. <laughs> I really feel like a 16-year-old talking about a crush right now. I really Aww. fancy Brian. Can you imagine how much care he would take care of? I mean, Jesus. I am Wow. Listen, you know what? I almost don't care about the vote, man. Do whatever you will, first buckets. I'm happy this week. <laughs> Uh, we have such tender drabbles for you to choose from, Thirst Buckets, but you know how we do. Friday, we'll put up the poll, and you can vote for, you know, whichever one left you feeling very tender. Um, and again, we're all winners. It doesn't matter. Your, vo- your vote counts, but, you know, everybody is uh, is a champion here. There you go. Go to at uh, ThirstAidKit on Twitter. Check out the poll Friday and cast your vote.
First Aid Kit is a Slate production produced by Sher Vincent and us, Bim Adewunmi and Nicole Perkins. Our music is by Tanya Morgan. You can follow the show on Twitter at Thirst Aid Kit, and we're on Tumblr at thirstaidkitpodcast.tumblr.com. We want to say a big thank you to all of the first buckets who take to Twitter every single Thursday to live tweet their listen. You can join them by using the hashtag TACPOD, that's T-A-K-P-O-D. Or you could write us an email with all of your feelings at firstaidkit at slate.com. If you want to use our Thirst Sommelier service, just send us a short, no longer than a minute, message. The number is 510-984-4778. That's 510-9-THIRST. Non-US Thirst Buckets can send us a short voice note via email to thirstaidkit at slate.com. And if you find yourself wishing you could get even more Thirst Aid Kit content every single week, well, now you can. All you have to do is become a Slate Plus member. Slate Plus is Slate's membership program, and for just $35 for the first year, you'll get a little extra from this show and all other Slate shows. Plus, there are absolutely no ads. Just visit slate.com slash thirstaidplus to sign up. The clocks may have sprung forward, but thirst is no respecter of time. We'll see you next week, and remember, stay thirsty, but wash your hands. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.